All right, if everyone will come in and grab a seat, we'll get started this morning. <clears throat> Welcome everyone to our Sunday morning Bible study and uh, got a little rain going on out there, so it's kind of nice. We need the rain, right? And, uh, but it's been nice. We've had kind of a cooler summer so far, hadn't we, seems like. Except I went to the Braves game yesterday and sat there and burned up in the sun. But uh, if you don't do stupid things like that, it's, it's not too bad. So, All right. Well, before we get started today, we need to uh, go over our prayer list. Uh, of course, our sister Debbie had surgery on the 5th, and she's here today, and looks like she's doing very good. So good to hear. And prayers are being answered. Uh, you probably heard Russ Havard had aortic aneurysm surgery on Wednesday, and he's still in uh, Emory University Hospital at, in room 823. He'll be there probably for a couple more days, and it says visits are welcome. So uh, please remember Russ and Sue and their family at this time. Uh, probably heard, but Sean Jacklin and Jacob Kirtland were in a car accident on the 4th. Um, but I've, apparently they're doing okay. Uh, there's, Sean had some bruising and stuff, but other than that, uh, they seem to be doing good, so uh, good to hear that. Um, Renee West's granddaughter, Maylee Woods, had surgery on the 8th. She's only four, and so please remember Renee and her family. Uh, Stephen Betty Pinter's brother-in-law's brother, Jack Caswell, passed away on the 3rd in Florida. So they're, please remember the Pinter family at this time as well. Uh, and our brother, Jimmy Miller, uh, had carotid artery surgery on the 8th in Kentucky, but apparently he is home now. So uh, that's good news. So please continue to remember Brother Miller in your prayers. Um, and then Michael Scott is a member at the Commerce Church is on a heart transplant list. So he's in Piedmont. So asking for prayers for him at this time. So remember him as well. Anyone else we need to be uh, remembering our prayers this morning? Yes, ma'am. Who did? Oh, his surgery. Oh, okay. He's having surgery today. Okay, excellent. So Michael Scoggins is going to have transplant surgery, right? Today. Okay, good. Good to hear. Anyone else we need to remember? Okay, let's go to our Father in prayer before we begin. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we honor you as our God. And uh, we just thank you, Father, for your, your love for us, the way you uh, take care of us, the way you provide for us, and the way you have revealed yourself to us all in your word that we might know your character we might know your love for us and your 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 uh, providence in our lives father and we just thank you for that we ask you this time to be with us during our class time today as we're we're studying from your word that we might take some things that we may not have seen before and, and help us to uh, grow spiritually and be better examples to those around us and father we thank you for this church the people here the the heart they have for you the love they have for you the heart they have for service and the love they have for each other, Father. And uh, we just ask you to continue to bless this congregation, help it to continue to thrive and grow in this community and be a, a light shining on a hill uh, for the folks around us. We ask you to be with us uh, through this this week and during our time of worship today that we might be uh, pleasing to you and, and, and edifying and uplifting to us. We also ask this time to be with those who have been mentioned on our, our list of prayer here, Father, that they might be healed uh, and those who are recovering from something that they might recover quickly and... Uh, of course, if anyone might be suffering loss, we ask you to help them to, uh, uh, in, their, in their sorrow and mourning, Father, and help us to know how to minister to each and every person. We ask you to be with the leaders of our communities at this time and the nation, and that they might be uh, 
be uh, able to seek out your will and everything that's done, that we might be uh, a, a people and a nation that is uh, living in accordance with your will, Father. Of course, your will be done. And of course, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, uh, his sacrifice that he made that we might have a hope of eternal life. And uh, we just thank you for that. We, we, we know we are sinners. We know we, are, we fall short of glory. And without him, we would have nothing. And so we just thank you for him. And it's in his name we pray at this time. Amen. All right, you can be opening up your Bibles to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter, well, first of all, we're going to go to Hebrews, but uh, before we do that, I got to, you know, there was a, there was a preacher, not Kyle, of course, but who decided he was going to skip Sunday morning church one Sunday and go play golf. And he went so far as to tell, ask his assistant to fill in, he said he wasn't feeling good, you know. So he probably feeling a little guilty, so he had to drive to another town to play because I didn't want anybody to see him, right? And uh, gets on that first tee and tees off and hits a great shot. All of a sudden, God sends up this gust of wind and catches the ball and sends it another 100 yards for a 450-yard hole in one. The archangel Michael looks a little perplexed, and he looks at God and says, Lord, what did you do that for? And God looks back at him with a smile and says, Who's he going to tell? All right, all right. <laughs> Sometimes don't, things don't work out the way you planned it, do they? All right. Well, if you've uh, been in our class for the last few weeks, we are st doing a study of angels in the Bible, looking at what is said about them, who they are, what their purpose was. And we've seen a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament about who these beings were, who, who these spiritual beings were. They were messengers, right, of God's word. They were sent by God to send messages at times. That's what the word in Hebrew means, malach or malach. And that was the word that's used in the Old Testament, a messenger. In the New Testament, in the Greek, it's angelos, right? Angelos, or a, a, a same kind of meaning, right? A messenger. They were executors or executors of God's will as well. Last week, we looked at the special beings who maybe or you would say are angels or maybe they're a different class of being the cherubim and the seraphim of course the cherubim being the guardians of the garden we read where when adam and eve were cast out of the garden he placed cherubim at the at the uh, at the garden to guard the entrance and of course he put the flaming sword in front of the tree of life that went this way and that way and then they're also described in ezekiel's vision of how they were the bearers of the throne of god and how they would move, and their wings would move, uh, carrying the throne around, and moved like lightning, quickly, the, to and fro, and had the sound of a multitude, an army, right? Very elaborate vision we see there of these beings. Whether, whether they're angels or not, we, we don't know for sure if you would call them the same thing as, I don't know, Gabriel or Michael or the angels that attend to the, the believers in the Old Testament. And then the seraphim, who were the the beings that were flying in the, above the host of heaven and praising the Lord, giving him honor, continually in praise of, of God. And, uh, and how those, and that's, that scene was seen as well, right? Very interesting uh, beings. Well, today we're going to look at uh, angels, uh, not so much to describe them, but we want to look and see how the angels were in service to Christ when he came to the earth. Remember John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1, 14, that Word became flesh and lived among men. Interesting 
phrasing the way John puts that, right? He was in heaven. Jesus Christ was in heaven. He was God. He was with God. He was with that heavenly host, those angels, those beings amongst that. Can you just imagine what that's like to decide I'm going to lower myself to come to earth to be among men and sacrifice myself to them? Have you ever pondered that? Just, just thought about what that meant? What God's love was like? How God's love is so great that he would do that. Send his son out of the heaven with all the angels, with the heavenly host. And of course, we can't know exactly what that's going to look like in the flesh, right? But we can imagine, and we have examples from Ezekiel and some of the prophets, their visions they saw. John in Revelation, we see some things there, right? And they're fantastic things to see. Whether that's exactly how they're going to look in heaven, I don't know. But I want to see them. I want to see what that's like, right? I want to see those angels. I want to hear the heavenly host so loud that it's like a multitude. I can't imagine that sound, right? We live near a train track, and you hear the train come through in the middle of the night sometimes, right? And it's kind of loud, but you get used to it. And after a while, you don't even recognize it anymore. I was sitting out on my back deck going over my lesson this morning, and one came through. I happened to notice it. I hadn't noticed that train in a year or two probably. But I can't imagine that being in heaven, the sound, you know, we're constantly, the blessing of that, right? The great noise, the great multitude of, of uh, angels. Well, let's read uh, some things that are said in the scripture. We're going to be in the scripture a lot today, so we'll be bouncing around. Uh, I'll try to go slowly so we can look at each particular thing. But first, turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. And let's see uh, why or, or, or what, what's, what the Hebrew writer said about the angels in their service to Christ. Beginning in verse 4, he says, Hebrews 1 verse 4, says, Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The Hebrew writer is saying Jesus Christ was greater than the angels. It's not the angels that we need to be worshiping. And he goes on to say, for in verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn in the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with, all, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Here we have the Hebrew writer talking about Jesus Christ, who came to earth, lowered himself to be a man in the flesh, but he was greater even than the angels. Who are the angels, he says? Who, who did, who, what angel did he tell to sit at my right hand to reign in this kingdom as we know Christ is doing today? Sitting in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in his kingdom, which we are a part of. We are a part of the kingdom of heaven when we decide to obey the gospel, become children of God, baptized into Christ, part of his church, part of his kingdom of heaven. What a glorious thing, right? His ministry is that part of that mystery of godliness. This, this is a great, turn over to 1 Timothy I want to read this passage 
uh, it's, I find this passage ex, ex, extraordinary. I love to read it. First uh, Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> and this is where Paul's writing to Timothy. And he's talking about that great mystery. The great mystery of the gospel, right? Of, of the, the mystery that God revealed to those who are believing. Beginning in verse 14 of chapter 3. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Notice he says that mystery, that thing that men need to search for, that thing that angels want to know about, right? God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. In other words, he's saying that great mystery of Jesus Christ who was sent, who was glorified by the Spirit, justified by the Spirit, glorified or seen by the angels who were ministering to him because he was their Lord, just like he's our Lord. So let's look at some verses. We're going to look and see some things about how the angels played a role in the life of Christ, how they participated in certain things that he did. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read a few verses, and I know you know these, but it doesn't hurt to read them again and go over it again. This is beginning when uh, the angels were dealing with Joseph and Mary, beginning in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be, the great, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Here we have the angel Gabriel. He's even mentioned, right? We have the name of this angel, whose job is to come and announce to Mary that she is about to have a child, a virgin, right? Uh, I'm sure that Mary, you know, was, was completely blown away by this. How can this be? But an angel comes and gives her this message. And she had to realize then that this was going to be a miracle. This was something from God. And it's true, right? It's part of the plan. She doesn't know necessarily what's going to happen there. But she understands she has now been chosen to be part of something that is tremendous, right? And we have Gabriel playing that role. Also, turn over quickly to Matthew chapter 1. And let's see how an angel dealt with Joseph at that time. Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> And let's look at the beginning in verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, and was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph saying, look, I don't know what's happened here, but I don't want to embarrass Mary. He loves Mary. He loves her greatly, and he wants to deal with her in a way that's not so bad for her, right? Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from all their sins. Here we have Joseph, not knowing what's going on either, right? He's worried now. He understands Mary is with child. He knows that he has not been with her. He knows that she apparently has been part of something that's not good. But because of his love for her, he wants to deal with her in a way that's helpful to her, that doesn't embarrass her, that uh, he can be do it privately. And the results of all that love is he's seen by an angel in a vision telling him, nope, she is to come with child because of the Holy Spirit. This is part of God's plan. And now obviously Joseph realizes that this is something greater. He and Mary are now part of something tremendous. Doesn't know necessarily what that's going to be yet. But he understands that God has a plan, right? Turn back over to Luke chapter 2. Where else do we see uh, uh, angels dealing with Christ? Like Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. <clears throat> he says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field. Now pay attention. I want you to pay attention to these verses. We read these verses, especially around Christmas time. We kind of sing about them, but you don't necessarily think much about them, do you? Pay attention to these verses. Verse 8. Now they're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now can you imagine being out in your backyard in the middle of the night, and this great light just comes and shines all around you? Not necessarily a light, but the glory of the Lord. Whatever that is, yeah, I'm sure it was a bright light kind of thing, but I don't know what that means exactly. And they were greatly afraid. Well, they, yeah, obviously. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now notice, notice this. Remember we talking about the heavenly host? Notice verse 13. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now, when you were watching Charlie Brown Christmas and Linus is quoting that verse, you don't get the picture of the heavenly host, do you? The shepherds saw the heavenly host. It wasn't just one angel. It was a multitude now, can you imagine being out in your backyard in the middle of the night and light shines and you see a heavenly host of angels singing and praising God? Sorry, I'm getting a little excited. But I want you to see that picture. That's what the shepherds saw. It wasn't just a little angel that came down and said, hey, Jesus is born of you. Y'all need to go see him. They were singing and praising God. The, the shepherds were hearing that sound. I don't know if it's like a train or army, whatever it was, but they were hearing it. Interesting stuff, right? These angels are participating in the plan of God. Verse 15, or verse 15, so it was, I always love this verse too after that when you read it. Verse 15, so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds sent them with another, says, well, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass which the Lord made known to us. It's like, okay, we got a job to do. Let's go. Yeah, we don't get all that really when we're at Christmas time thinking about the birth of Jesus, right? But 
this was all part of it. It's fantastic. It's extravagant. I want you to get that picture of that heavenly host of angels that are appearing to these shepherds, right? Well, what else do they do? Turn over to Matthew chapter 2, and let's see some verses that, let's see some other things that angels were doing here with the, the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, and let's look at uh, verse 13. This is after Herod has made the decree about killing the firstborn because he's trying to find this king who's been born, right? Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And then on to verse 19. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise now and take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. So here we have angels coming to Joseph to protect the Christ child, telling Joseph, you got to go, man. If you don't go, Herod's going to kill him. You got to go now. And Joseph obeyed. And then eventually Herod dies, and the angels now come back and say, all right, the plan is going on. God's great plan is in progress. Now it's time to go back. Now it's time to go back to the land that was promised. Angels are taking part in this plan that God has for man. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at another place where Jesus has angels tending to him. Matthew chapter 4. I'm not going to read all of that. We have the examples of Christ being tempted, right? He goes into the wilderness. Satan takes him into the wilderness, tempts him three times. Of course, we know that's real temptation. Jesus is in the flesh. He's being tempted just like we are. I know we kind of think, well, he's God. He's not really tempted. No, Scripture said he was tempted. If you're going to believe Scripture, you've got to believe he was tempted just like you are. I know that's hard to think about, but it's true. At the end of that, he resists the temptation, and what happens then? Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here we have Jesus in the wilderness. He's been tempted by the devil, and these are true temptations, and he's resisted. How has he done it? Well, quoting scripture saying to Satan, this is the word of God. And because of his obedience, his love for God, his faith, his, his knowledge of what is, uh, what is in store for his life, God sends angels to take care of him there in the wilderness. Now, I'm sure that temptation probably took something out of him. I don't imagine he's ever been tempted like that before. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he has, we just don't know about it. But obviously, he was out in the wilderness. He hasn't eaten for a long time. He's exhausted, I'm sure. The angels will come in, minister to him. I'm sure to strengthen him, to help him out, to make him remember. Well, not that he needs to remember, but to understand that he is deity. He is God. There is a plan. All right. What else can we gain? Um, 
I'm not going to read it, but there's an example of angels. Uh, remember when Elijah was being uh, on the run from Jezebel and, the, and those things, and he goes out in the wilderness and he hasn't eaten in time, and he prays, if, you know, if I'm going to do this, you've got to help me out, and, and the angels come and provide food for him, right, and so forth. That's probably what was happening with Jesus there. They were probably providing for him his physical needs in the flesh. What else have we seen Jesus with, with angels? Well, one of the greatest examples, of course, is in Luke chapter 22. Let's turn over there and see what we can glean from that. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22. And, of course, this is when Jesus is in the garden. And he knows he's about to be taken to the cross. It's going to happen the next day, right? He is uh, in physical agony again. He is God, but he's in the flesh. He knows what's coming, and he is agonized about it. Just like you and I would be, right? If you knew you were about to die, you know that that would be something that would just be, well, I can't imagine it. I don't want to imagine that. He's in agony. So he goes into the garden. In verse 21, he says, He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, there he is saying to God, not my will, but yours. He is in agony, but he's still in lockstep with the Father. He still is in obedience to the will of God. Verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he had come to his disciples, found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Actually, I skipped verse 43, didn't I? In verse 43 there, right after he prayed, right after he said that, an angel, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So here we have Jesus about to have the culmination of that great plan from God of salvation, and he's in agony. He's praying, not my will but yours. God sends an angel to strengthen him. Now, as we've talked about angels, they have a great purpose, but can you imagine being that angel? I don't know if an angel knew what was about to happen, but he knows the Lord is in great agony. Can you imagine what that was like for the angel? They had to come to him and strengthen him? That's another example of angels ministering to Christ. It's kind of similar, actually, to Daniel. If you want, turn over to Daniel chapter 10. Let's read that. Of course, you can say the prophets, especially Daniel, were kind of forerunners of the Messiah. Daniel especially, when he was taken into captivity, uh, God put him up, became uh, prominent in, in uh, Babylonia, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Let's read what Daniel did when uh, uh, he was dealing with some of this stuff. Verse 10 of chapter 10 of Daniel. Suddenly a hand touched him, which made me tremble on the knees and on the palms of my hands, and he said to me, O Daniel, this is an angel that's come to him. O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. 
I love that verse where he says, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Simply because Daniel believed. Daniel obeyed God. We just read, if you go back a little bit, you just read where the decree had been made that they could only pray to King Darius. And what did Daniel do? He went home and prayed morning, noon, and night, just as was his custom. That's why he's beloved. He believes in God first and foremost. Then he said to me in verse 12, and he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. That angel had tried to come to Daniel 21 days before. He'd been hindered by Satan and his cohorts. The archangel Michael even has to come to help him to, so that he can continue on to greet Daniel. Verse 13, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Here we have an example of this angel ministering to Daniel, right? Strengthening him. We can see the words that he's using, the touch that he's touching Daniel, the way he's ministering to him. We don't get that many words when we're seeing the vision of Christ in the garden and the angel comes to him but I can imagine it was something similar perhaps he had to deal with something that's going on there with Satan you know Satan at this time thinks he's got him right he's going to die the great son of God he's going to the cross I've got him but God sends an angel to the garden to strengthen Christ no you know it plan is there be strong God's will will be done and salvation will be given to man I can imagine that was what was going on there I don't know but God says Christ was strengthened because of it that great agony he's going through so much foe that he's sweating drops of blood yet this angel is able to minister him and strengthen him <coughs> when else do we see angels involved in the life of Christ well, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28. See what's going on there. This is uh, after he has been crucified. And in verse 1 we read, in verse 28, chapter 28 of Matthew, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn... This is at dawn. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you'll see him. 
Behold, I've told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. Here we have the angel meeting Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, right, at dawn. Rolling away the stone has an appearance like lightning, kind of like what Ezekiel saw, right, in his vision of the cherubim and seraphim. An earthquake even occurs, right? Telling the, the women, go tell the disciples, he's risen, he's not here anymore. Again, participating in that plan of salvation, bringing hope to man and mankind. Appears to Mary and, and Mary, Mary Magdalene, well, he actually appears to uh, Mary Magdalene, well, actually without Mary, when he goes, and, uh, so the women go, and except for Mary Magdalene, go to tell Peter and John what they've seen, uh, we read that there in verses 5 and 7. They go and tell them. And then he also appears to Mary Magdalene. If you want to go over there, that's John chapter 20. Let's look and see what we can read from that. John chapter 20 and verse 11. It says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said, said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Here we have angels sitting in the tomb. When Mary Magdalene looks in, telling her he's not here. He is risen. He is part, the part of that plan is progressing. Satan is being defeated. Death is. It's going to be defeated. She doesn't understand that yet. She doesn't even recognize Jesus when he first comes to her. But it's all part of the plan, right? The angels are part of it. They're participating in it. And then turn over to Acts chapter 1, and let's read about how the angels participate in the ascension of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Acts 1, verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will, go, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Now can you imagine the disciples when they see this happen? I imagine they're just standing there looking up like, just amazed and all, right? Like, what's happening? And of course, an angel comes and says, hey, guys, he just went to heaven. Time to get on with it, you know? Get busy now. Angels participated in the entire life of Christ. Every single thing we read about in Scripture, the angels were sent to help strengthen Christ, strengthen the disciples, proclaim things about Jesus Christ to the Mary and Joseph when they're born, to Joseph when Herod puts out the decree, and at his crucifixion, to tell the disciples he is risen. 
angels have a, a major part to play here, don't they? They're all part of the plan. Kind of integral, important part. They're helping those who are believing, who know Jesus, who have been with him, to understand that everything's okay. And he's strengthening them in the process, right? Can you imagine the women when they went to the tomb, the sorrow, that, the great sorrow they had because of their love for him? I mean, I know everybody here has lost a loved one, right? You know how that is. These angels are telling them, no, he's risen. Be happy. Things are happening that are good. Well, where else do we see angels in the scripture? A few more times we hear about them, we read about them. Uh, they're part of the future. They're part of the present and the future. Uh, and they're very uh, integral part. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. And let's see what John writes about the picture of the angels. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such are in the sea, all that are in them heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. They're there in heaven now with him, praising and honoring, showing their love for the Lord. When else are they going to be with him? Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Let's see an example of something else here. Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> verse 27. And this is something that we need to ponder too. We need to know about. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Surely to say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the man, Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is a prophecy of the second coming of Christ. The last part there talking about how he's going to be establishing the kingdom for some of them die that are sitting there. <clears throat> but angels are going to be part of that. They're going to be coming with him. And they're going to do and be doing some things. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians and let's see what Paul writes there. Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 and remember Paul is writing this to the brethren at Thessalonica um, to comfort them give them the hope to continue in what they're doing verse 13 but I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep they're afraid that those that have died are going to miss out lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
coming with those angels, right? And then turn over to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, I've got two here. Hold on. <coughs> Paul writes there, beginning in uh, verse 7, And to give you our troubled rest, with us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance of those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. When the judgment comes, the angels are going to be part of that. When Jesus returns, the angels will be returning with him. And then turn back over to Matthew chapter 13. And let's read a couple of verses here before we get finished. In verse 40, beginning of 13 and verse 40. Actually, let's go back to 37. He answered and said to them, Who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. This is the parable of the tares he's talking about. Who did he say were the reapers? The angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the son of the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What are the angels going to be doing? They're going to be taking the tares out of the harvest. Those who have sought wickedness have not obeyed the gospel. So here we see the angels serving Christ, being part of that plan, and now we see how they're going to participate in the future. They're going to be there. We're going to see them whether we were raised from the dead or whether we're standing here on the earth when it happens. We're going to see those angels. Hopefully this study will encourage you, right, to believe, to know that there is a plan from God. And if you have not decided to obey that gospel yet, June 11th, Sunday, June 11th, is as good a day as any to start. So I would encourage you to do that. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.